near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or, for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, which can be found at nderf.org, N-D-E-R-F.org. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. When I came back, you guys, uh, back to this podcast, after that long break that I had, uh... I recorded a bunch of episodes so that I'd have, you know, kind of a backlog to, so that, you know, uh, when I needed Christmas week off or whenever I needed time off, I could get some and also to have enough ahead so that uh, if, if I just fell behind, I could catch up again. And this is the first episode that I am recording after coming back. And the response has been beautiful, you guys. Thank you so much for your kind messages to me. I've received many emails and uh, um, through both my personal email account and my new email account that has just been set up, which is chaz, C-H-A-S, at ndepodcast.org. And um, I, I, I'm just blown away. Thank you, you guys. It, it totally totally makes me so happy to be back that uh to be hearing from you guys and hearing what a difference this podcast is making to you and again i want to take the chance to thank john for the wonderful work that he is doing as well i especially love his his interviews he's gotten such fascinating individuals he does such a great job with uh, speaking to people about their experiences and their research and so forth. And I can't wait to see what he comes up with next. So it's it's great. Um, today we're going to share the experience of Carolina from Enderf.org. Carolina says, In November of 1991, I was struck by a car which left me in a deep coma, and I was instantly unconscious. When the driver started up his car, he ran over me. The tires left marks even on my underwear and caused internal head injury, ruptured eardrum, broken pelvis, ribs, shoulder. My kidneys ceased to function. I tell this to put the experience into proper context. I was transferred to a hospital, revived, connected to several machines, such as a respirator, etc., and was in a complete coma. 
I suppose during this time was when I had my experience. I felt a very strong pull, like a powerful shove that makes me think that that was the moment when I saw myself in that place. This impulse, as I call it, was what knocked me into a large park. When I found myself there, I was surprised, but at the same time was not worried. At that time, I felt completely enveloped in great peace, a marvelous sensation of fulfillment. There was no sense of time or space. Everything was, and nothing more existed. The temperature was embracing, enfolding. I looked around, curious, but without a feeling of curiosity. I can't explain it better. It was like accepting what was without any other reference. Everything was very green, with nature everywhere. Behind me was a great closed door. Impossible to jump over it, it was so tall, with large bands the color of brilliant gold. In front of me was lots of grass, with a straight but not long road in the middle that disappeared at the nearby horizon. There were a few people whose faces I never saw, but each one was in his own world. There was a fountain of water. All the people were dressed in white. The only sounds were those of nature, and they were not loud. No one spoke, except when my grandmother appeared and met me. Until this moment, I remained in the same place I had been in since being impelled into the park. She said to me, without uttering a word, Hi! It's been a long time since I saw you. What a joy to see you. Now, I don't remember if I responded, but my joy and happiness at that moment were without measure, since I was seeing my grandmother, whom I had loved so much in life, without relating to the fact that she was now dead. As soon as we met up, we began to walk on the straight road that I mentioned before, but it was like suddenly changing position. I mean, from where I was standing, we moved to where the road began, but without moving. Then we began walking, but it was like floating and slowly moving forward. She was at road level, but did not touch it. I don't know. My grandmother never touched me. She was younger than when she died, 89 years old. Perhaps 30 years younger, with loose, long hair, white blouse, black skirt, barefoot, really, really happy to see me. Suddenly, as we were walking along, she became very agitated and seemed in despair. She told me again without words, I have to go. I can't continue here. And at the same time, she picked up her pace, staying behind, not understanding anything. I stayed behind, not understanding anything, while my grandmother, very energetically and decisively, without ever looking back to where I was, and without saying goodbye, continued on down the road. I don't know if the great 
pain I later, later felt was because of what I experienced during my near-death experience and then brought back with me when I came out of my coma a great sense of, or a, a sense of great anguish and loneliness. I don't know for sure, but what I can say for sure is that returning from my experience has been, shall we say, a traumatic one. The feeling of abandonment is very unpleasant. At that time, my kidneys began to function, and I urinated, something I wasn't able to do, or wasn't doing up till then. And while other things of a medical nature transpired that indicated my immediate and total recovery from the coma. The doctors couldn't explain my recovery, but one of them approached my mother and told her that her faith was stronger than his own diagnosis. I don't know how long the experience could have lasted, but when I was pulled into that place, I was dressed in, dressed the same as when I was involved in the accident, which was about 7 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. This coincides with the feeling that it was, a, it was very early when I found myself in the park. I was in the coma for four days, and I don't have any residual effects. That is the end of Carolina's experience, or her account. Interesting, interesting. So, one of the first things that uh, strikes me about this uh, relates to the death process itself. This is probably the part that even near-death experiencers have the most hesitation toward. I don't want to say fear, because most of them are like, you know what? I've been through worse pain, you know, <laughs> than most people do when they die because they came back and that's the more painful process. But, um, you know, some people wonder, was there suffering? And also, do you feel it when you die, you know, in an instant accident? Because obviously somebody who dies instantly, as it were, you know, died on impact or died on, you know at the moment of the accident, um, we often wonder, was there a severe and utter, you know, horrible pain at that moment? It appears not, at least by this person's experience, by uh, Carolina's experience. In fact, I suspect that you've got about oh, three quarters to a full second uh, to you know, for pain receptors to reach the brain and return. You know that feeling when you touch a hot stove and you're like, shoot, this is going to hurt. Ow! You know, where it's like you've got about that much time from the time that you feel maybe a twinge of pain. It's kind of like a, oh, oh, feeling, and then it hits, and it's like, dang, that hurts. Happens to me all the time while I'm washing my hands in hot water, and there's a point where you know there's no turning back. And it's just a second or less later that the pain hits. And I don't know how it is with severe pain, because I've never had anything as severe as something that could kill you. But um, I suspect that that is, in a worst-case scenario, anybody who dies on impact or at the scene of the accident in that moment doesn't feel anything and um, there are many experiences of people actually leaving their body just prior to the accident. Not sure what to make of that, except that it may be just an act of mercy, 
or it may be something that our spirit suddenly realizes what's going on and leaves knowing that it's too late. Anyway, so she's transferred to the hospital and is basically ends up in a coma. It's not clear whether it was a medically induced coma or if it was a coma of her body's own doing. I don't know. It really doesn't make much difference. It's She's that severely injured. But while her body is down there injured, she's experiencing none of it. What she experiences is feeling pulled like a powerful shove, you know, a, a push or a... Or, you know, being drawn, physically drawn into this place. And it sounds like it's pretty quick. It's a very strong pull. Um, and that was the moment that I f saw myself in that place. Now, that is an interesting wording. I saw myself in that place. She didn't say I found myself in that place, but I saw myself in that place. This is not... It's less common, but it's not terribly uncommon that somebody sees themselves, uh, or sees themselves. So it's as if they're standing, I don't know, 10 feet away. They don't really always say. Sometimes they do, but uh, in this case, she doesn't. But it's as if she's seeing herself standing there, which tells me she is probably in the spirit body form. And in fact, she confirms that because... Um, when she says when she first arrived, she was in the clothes that she died in when the accident took place. I'm not entirely clear what the accident was. It sounds like she was hit by a car and uh, possibly run over um, because she talks about tire marks on her clothes and so forth. It sounds like she is hit and run over is, is my guess. Um don't know beyond that, but uh, she is seeing herself in this place. And I don't know if that, you know, you've got first person um, view, then you've got third person, which is what this is. And I don't know if she ends up going from that third person into the first person. My guess is it's an attention thing, a focus thing, that if she was wanting to see out her eyes, that's what she would see. And if she was wanting to see herself at a distance, that's what she would see also. Which, if that's the case, if, you know, and I'm sorry to go off on this speculative um, uh, tangent, but I can't help myself. I love this stuff and I'm fascinated. And I don't know if there's any basis for what I'm suggesting, but, but if there is this you know, intelligent consciousness form and spirit body form, which are different, but can be um, uh, put together like a spirit and a body, then this may be an example of where the intelligent conscious self, that, that pure conscious form, is looking at the spirit body of the individual. Now, that's really confusing because... You know, how can a soul be outside of itself? I don't know. I don't know. But that, anyway, it's kind of interesting. It could be also that there's something about being in the spirit form that allows you to see through the eyes of others, through the eyes of the universe itself, through the eyes of the things around you. Um, that's very possible. Anyway, okay, she says at that time she feels this great peace, incredible fulfillment,
Uh, and then she feels, she's looking around curiously, but without a feeling of curiosity. And she kind of acknowledges that, that doesn't make sense, but she doesn't know how else to explain it. I suspect, you know, we kind of think of curiosity as being a sense of longing or a sense of needing something, sort of. You know, it's like, I really want to know this. I really want, and there's a drive towards something. And it could be that she's feeling curiosity without this sense of longing or need for it. So it's like, whatever is, is. And because she says it was like accepting what was without any other reference. So perhaps there is, she still has this curiosity without this need to know, so to speak. Okay, so everything was very green, nature everywhere. This is a lovely example of landscape, uh, a landscape NDE. Um, nature everywhere. She even talks about how there's not any sound except nature sounds, which makes me think maybe water, maybe bugs, maybe birds. You know, what is nature sound? I mean, wind, uh, rustle of leaves in the wind. I don't know, but... I think, you know, the fact that uh, she doesn't go into detail means that it's probably just those noises that you hear in nature. The bugs and the wind and everything else. And then she describes what we might consider the quintessential um, pearly gates. Um, because she says behind her was this great closed door with large bands the color of brilliant gold. And she doesn't really say anything more about this uh, great door. Is this what she would pass through if she were to continue on to the other side? I don't know. Or was this what she went through to get back here? I don't know. She doesn't specify. But it's kind of interesting. And it's such an archetype um, in our modern society of this these you know golden gates or pearly gates of heaven that it could be that that it was that barrier that many people come across it could be a cloud it could be a wall it could be you know um, anything um, it could even be a group of people and in this case you you cannot cross it without um, staying uh, point of no return, so to speak. And sometimes people are not allowed to cross that barrier, not given that choice. I don't know if that this is an example of that or not, um, but very interesting. She talks about a fountain of water and how there are people. Um, let me just see if I can see if she says where these people were down this long road or cause she sees this long road going off into a nearby horizon, and there were a few people, um, I assume, either in that distance or between her and that distance. Um, but then she says, and this I, I'm not sure what to make of, but she says, there were a few people whose faces I never saw, but each one was in his own world. Interesting. Were these people who had died and were there also, but were seeing different things? She was seeing this big uh, house and nature and road and so forth. Were they seeing something entirely different? I don't know. But they were in their own 
world. Is that a misprint? Maybe. But I doubt it. I think there's something more there. I would be very interested to ask Carolina what she means by this, that they were each in their own world. It does make me think of some of the more distressing experiences that some people have where they're among other people and they'll try to talk to people and they just don't even respond as if they don't even see them there, don't even hear them there. Everybody's kind of alone in this place full of people, so to speak. This may be the opposite situation where they are all there and in their own special um, custom paradise, so to speak, that they can interact and see each other, but they're each in their own paradise. It does say that she never saw their faces, but uh, which is kind of an interesting thing to say. Were they facing the other way, and therefore faces didn't really come up, or was this a situation where, like many, she's not able to make out the faces? And whether that making out faces or not seeing faces is a transitional thing, something that, that uh, will clear up when they're fully and utterly permanently on the other side, or whether faces are just not, don't really matter, kind of like the smell of person of a person versus what they look and sound like. Um, that is to say that maybe the sense of, of recognizing faces is not, nothing compared to the sense of just knowing someone inside, outside, as a spirit may know a person. So whether they've got faces or not, actually physically, well, spiritually faces or not, may be irrelevant. I don't know. I'm not sure. Anyway, then her grandma shows up, and her grandma is incredibly happy to see her. Um, she's um, just beaming about seeing her. And it's interesting that uh, this grandmother died at 89 years old, so about 90 years old, and she says she's about 30 years younger in this experience, which is interesting because that would put the grandma at about 60. Not too many experiences where you'll hear of people older. There are some. There are probably quite a few, but it's kind of uncommon. And uh, one is left to wonder, why would she not appear as prime? Would it have just been too weird if uh, this person, who I don't know how old they were at the, at the time, that Carolina, how old she was, but maybe she was older than that. Maybe she was in her 50s herself, and, and it would have felt weird for her to see her grandma older. Or maybe her grandma appeared to her in that way to make sure she'd recognize her, because how many of us can you know, close our eyes and picture our grandparents in their 20s or 30s. Most of us, unless we've seen a lot of pictures of them or done a lot of family history where we come across a lot of pictures of them, probably wouldn't even recognize them if they came walking up to us right now. Um, but, uh, and, and that could be why. And yet, this whole discussion of faces versus just knowing somebody, you know, what do we do with all that? I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of interesting, though. Um, so, uh, but that does bring up that topic of age and how people are apparently able to show themselves in the spirit form. They are able to show themselves at whatever age they choose. But that prime 
that you know 25 30 to 35 ish age is how what seems to be the default the way they appear if they don't make any effort at it so now carolina and her grandma begin walking and this walk is kind of interesting as she describes it because she's like changing position you know it's like she's moving along uh, the road, but without moving. And I don't know if she means her body's not moving and they're just like drifting along, coasting, so to speak, as if they're just hovering along. Um, that's kind of what I'm picturing. Or it could be that they're walking, yet not tr- not making any distance. I, it's kind of unclear, but I'm picturing them just coasting along, floating at ground level. Which, you know, sounds weird, but she says so herself. She's like, she's at road level but did not touch it. I don't know. (laughs) She's not confused about it at the time, but when she tries to describe it, it feels weird to her to try to explain it. So that's kind of cool. Anyway, um, then suddenly her grandma becomes very agitated and says, I have to go. I can't continue here. And then you know, hurries on ahead and Carolina suddenly feels rather rejected. And she says, I don't know if it was that loneliness of rejection feeling that kicked her out of her coma and woke her up or if it was something else. Uh, But it does appear that that um, that Rejection of her grandma was traumatic for her and had a traumatic effect on her. The feeling of abandonment was very unpleasant, as she says. And then she's back awake and and so forth. Now, this idea of trauma at returning is something worth considering. Because many people, especially those who want to stay in heaven, they they don't beg to come back. Um, the ones who want to stay but are told your time is not yet and and are forced back often feel a deep sense of rejection, a deep sense of being kicked out of heaven. Not because they deserved it or anything, but just because it happened. And because it happened, it hurt. And that hurt is traumatizing to people. And I don't know if everyone experiences this who's had a near-death experience to some extent. I suspect that many are grateful to be back. Most are probably longing for it, but knowing they have things they need to do here and are to some level grateful for that. And then there are others that just want to tear their hair out and say, I want to go back now. I want to go back now and and have to uh, restrain themselves from doing anything drastic about it. Anyway, very interesting. Um, I find these experiences just beautiful. And, you know, I was thinking a little bit about, because I heard, I've been listening to several near-death experiences today, and I'm kind of um, interested in people's thoughts and discussions about what the other side is like. And some seem to be under the impression that we go from being on earth to be going to an earth-like place 
to going into a still humanoid form, but with nothing but people and, and light, and to finally just going to raw light and, you know, being like this progression away from this earthly experience. So, but I haven't heard too many, you know, people talk about it that way, but I haven't heard too many near-death experiencers um, describe it as some kind of progression. But rather, they seem to say that there are these different aspects that are available. It's almost like saying, well, is life a progression from a hospital to a home to a store to a job to a grave? Well, no, it's it's not. It's it's all those things at different times based on the need. And I suspect, again, my own speculations, and I'm sorry for that if that bothers anybody, but I suspect there are just different things that we can experience in the spirit world. And yes, I think there is still progression in some form. And um, part of that is coming to this world and learning the lessons that we can from life. But uh, anyway, it, it, I, I find that very interesting. She does end her account also by saying that uh, she doesn't have any residual effects. One of the most beautiful kinds of near-death experience after effects, and a rare one, uh, but a beautiful one nonetheless, is that uh, a complete healing. And sometimes people walking away with nothing more than a few days of sore muscles as if they just jogged too far or something. And uh, what a blessing. What a blessing for Carolina. So, if you would like to contact the podcast, either to share your own experience or to ask a question or make a comment, you can do so by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. That is a uh, message line, so no one is going to pick up. Um, you'll just be given an answering machine and allowed to share your message. It will give you three minutes. If you are sharing a longer experience, you can either just keep calling back and, and continue where you left off. Those are really easy to splice together. Or you can um, upload or, you know, record your experience on a phone or something and send a, you know, .mp3 or .wav file or something like that to either me or John, and we will um, be able to include it in an episode of the podcast. If you would like to contact me personally, you can do so by emailing chas, C-H-A-S, at N-D-E-Cast dot org. And with that, thank you again, all of you so much for listening. <laughs>